Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 27 of Compliance Into the Weeds, the Spring Training Edition. As always, I'm joined by my colleague, Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the Major League Baseball hacking scandal involving the St. Louis Cardinals and the Houston Astros. We recently had some new developments that came out that we thought shed some light on not only the lessons to be learned, but uh, the punishment that uh, a corporation can sustain and how a company who is hacked may never actually uh, be able to fully uh, get back to the position it was before the hack. The episode comes in at uh, just over 17 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance. Welcome, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be with you. Well, Matt, we are about uh, 10 days, I think, from uh, pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training camp. So I think our topic is very apropos today. We have both taken a look at some compliance lessons from a major, major league baseball skin, uh, hacking scandal that happened, I think, from uh, 2012 to 2014 uh, involving, involving the St. Louis Cardinals and Houston Astros. You want to maybe uh, set the stage a little bit with what happened? Yeah, sure. So I love when these non-corporate examples of ethical misconduct bubble up and do have crossover implications for corporate compliance officers. You really you can learn a lot from what happened here, which is just uh, a whole bunch of knuckleheaded behavior all around. Um, The key player, so to speak, in all of this is a man named Chris Correa who was the head of scouting for the St. Louis Cardinals. Prior to that, he had a comparable job at the Houston Astros. So when he went to the Cardinals, uh, which apparently he worked there from 2009 to 2015, in 2013, the Cardinals promoted him to be director of scouting and another manager at the Cardinals organization, went over to Houston. So basically this is, you know, two people switching sides. Um, Chris Correa looked at what the Houston, what his former colleagues' passwords were as when he went to the Houston Astros. And then basically he hacked into the Astros guessing correctly what his ex-colleagues' passwords would be at the ex-colleague's new organization, the Astros, snuck in there, looked at what the Astros were doing. This is totally illegal. Uh, This is illegal at the federal level. This is certainly frowned upon by Major League Baseball. Uh, You know, it caused some serious damage to the Astros uh, since the St. Louis is a competitor of theirs. It's a big publicity black eye for the Cardinals. And uh, eventually, Chris Correa did get caught uh, he did get sentenced in federal prison to, I think, 46 months in federal prison and a fine of $280,000 plus. He was banned for baseball for life. Uh, and then the Cardinals themselves, for allowing this nonsense to go on on their watch, uh, Major League Baseball fined the Cardinals $2 million and dinged them two draft picks, which for a baseball team, this is an expensive punishment. 
So that's the contours of what happened here. Hacking scandal into a competitor and its employer liability and uh, internal control failures. So uh, let me just add that um, Jeff Lunau, um, I, I know I butchered his last name, uh, the fellow who went from St. Louis to Houston to become the general manager of Houston, he engaged yep. in a data security action that I think is if not inexcusable, as close to the line as you can be, which was he had the same password in Houston that he had in St. Louis. And I think that's what allowed Korea to get into uh, the Houston system. So just um, on a free one from Into the Weeds on data security, uh, please change your password if you change jobs. You know, it's uh, it's difficult. You know, this is one thing I pointed out is that we all see these password policies that corporations give us where you have to update your password every 30 days, every 90 days, whatever. Many of us will choose a sort of a key string of text and then change it from at the end to zero one to zero two the next month, zero three hackers who are listening. I am not saying I do this, but um, <laughs> The radical compliance empire is now at risk. So I I do have uh, some sympathy for Lunau, the one who went to the Astros. Um, And also the Astros probably, you know, I don't know what their password policy is, but are you really going to tell new employees don't ever use any password you've ever used at previous places in case your old coworkers want to hack into our systems? You know, that's kind of a big ask. We are all humans here and we can't remember an endless series of passwords. So um, it, it's one of these tensions where the natural inclinations of human beings bump up against good IT security and password control. And I don't think there's any easy answer here. But, yeah, that's what Jeff Lunau did when he took his same password. And so his old coworker guessed his way into the new system. That's that's not brain surgery, to be honest. Well, Matt, you wrote a blog post uh, on this case entitled Two Compliance Lessons uh, from Baseball Today. And I was wondering if you might walk us through the lessons because I thought they were excellent points. Yeah, you know, I loved it because this is uh, one big picture sort of a lesson about vicarious liability that, yes, a company can be held liable for employee misconduct. Um, this is probably not news to ethics and compliance officers. But uh, nonetheless, this is how Major League Baseball decided to sanction the St. Louis Cardinals, because really, this was inexcusable criminal misconduct by one of their employees against a different wing or operating unit, let's say, of Major League Baseball. So, uh, of course, there was going to be some sanction there. Uh, The other one is very specific about, like we were just talking about with passwords. This is access control. What is a good access control policy for IT systems and passwords? How do you keep them challenging so hackers will not get in? But how do you not make them so overly complicated that we all would write down our password on our post-it note and stick it to our monitors, which I know also goes on? Um, Like I mentioned before, even if the Astros have an internal auditor who's going around inspecting passwords, The Astros internal auditor is not going to know what your previous passwords at previous places of employment ever were. So he might not necessarily know this. You know, how do you reflect a policy that that uh, can capture all of this? I I don't really know. 
But it's just it's a great lesson because you've got, like I said, these big picture questions about the responsibility of the organization as a whole and these nitty gritty details about access control that uh, you know, they cut across all sorts of problems that compliance and audit executives encounter. So the um, vicarious liability, Matt, one of the things that has always struck me about vicarious liability, which doesn't seem to enter the conversation as often as I think it should, is that even if the corporation affirmatively told the employee, here, Mr. Correa, do not do this, the corporation accepted the benefit of his illegal conduct. And in this case, uh, he had uh, roamed around in the Astros uh, player talent evaluations, who they were going to draft, and he specifically did so before making recommendations as to who St. Louis would draft. Now, the information we have to date does not indicate um, which, if any, of the St. Louis draft picks may have been influenced by the um, uh, illegal conduct by Mr. Correa. But assuming it did, and even if they did not draft someone, Cardinals, as the business organization, received the benefit of Mr. Correa's illegal conduct. So that really led me to think about what's a fair penalty either to assess against the Cardinals or to, if not reward the Astros, compensate them for their loss. So we know that uh, the commissioner fined St. Louis $2 million, and he also gave to the Astros two draft picks in the upcoming draft. I believe uh, positions 57 and 75, excuse me, 56 and 75. Uh, Now, most players drafted those positions. In fact, I don't think any player drafted at those positions has ever made it into the Hall of Fame. Uh, St. Louis does not have a first-round pick this year, so the Astros will not get a higher pick. But the way baseball draft works, there are certain uh, segmented slots that receive something called slot money. And each player is assigned a range of dollar values which a club can sign the player for. And the more they can save within that range means the more they can spend in other uh, for other players. And if you don't use that money at all, subject to certain conditions, you can roll it up to pay uh, uh, other players more money. So these two slot picks, or these two picks rather, uh, turn into $185 million in slot money. So that's uh, $3,850,000 in fines paid over to the Astros from the Cardinals. All of that's a long-winded way of me saying, Matt, or at least raising the issue. How do you evaluate the damage in this type of injury? You know, I've been wondering about that, too. And your point about the slot money is well taken. But on the other hand, I also think, you know, we need to remember that Korea, when he looked around at the Astros system, he looked at how they evaluate players. And now they know how the Astros evaluate players. Everybody does. I'm sure that this information is leaked out. But it is not as if St. Louis can unknow what Houston does. And it's not as if Houston can easily change how it evaluates players. You can't suddenly say, well, we're going to stop paying attention to how they throw the ball. That is a very core duty in baseball. So I, it's almost like this is a lasting intelligence into an opponent. And it must be challenging for Houston to figure out how it can erase that sort of damage or regain the competitive 
uh, intelligence it was trying to protect there. I, I don't follow baseball enough to know the intricacies of it, but um, you know, it's what Korea did was serious, serious misconduct. And you know, there, there's a reason why the judge threw the book at him and sentenced him to 46 months in prison. And baseball has kicked him out for the rest of his life. He's not a, an old man either, and this is what he does, and he's not doing it anymore, even when he does get out of the federal pen. So I guess maybe that would lead to a um, information governance point, which is if you've got some crown jewels, you need to protect those, and you need that would be your highest risk of loss because, as you just articulated, Matt, this is not a one-time loss. This is an ongoing loss which translate to a gain for St. Louis, but a loss that may not be able to be um, remedied by the Astros in a way other than changing their evaluation protocols, uh, which is probably not something they want to do, even if they can do it. So uh, yeah. if you've got crown jewels and they're not uh, patent protected, you better trade secret protect them by not letting anybody ro- roam around in your system. You know, and there's one other point uh, about a- uh, access controls I did want to bring up here. It's worth remembering. Um, how did Chris Korea figure out what Mr. Lunau's password was in the first place when they both worked for St. Louis? Well, it's because Lunau, when he returned his St. Louis issued laptop to the team, uh, he returned it to the team, and Korea then looked at that laptop. Now, Chris Korea had no business looking at that laptop. Uh, Lunau, Jeff Lunau, was definitely higher up on the organizational chart than uh, Chris Korea was. When your CFO returns his company laptop, uh, you, the compliance officer or the staff auditor, you don't get to nose around on his CFO's laptop even when he leaves. Um, so this was a flaw around what we would call the principle of least privilege. An employee should only see the information he needs, not information that he can see, just what you need to see. And a subordinate to the general manager does not need to see the general manager's laptop, even when the general manager is on his way out the door and giving it back. Uh, So that was actually how Chris Correa figured out the general manager's password in the first place, and then made the deduction that probably he's going to keep that same password when he goes to the Astros, which of course was the case and leads us to all these blog posts and hand wringing in the baseball press. Um, it's just, like I said, a great example of technical problems and bigger operational problems all around with this case. Matt, I think we would be remiss if we didn't uh, end our podcast by tying uh, this case, the actions of Mr. Korea and the entire uh, enforcement action to Greek tragedy, because it was really Greek tragedy that brought this uh, to the public awareness. And I say that because apparently the Astros were none the wiser to Korea's illegal act until Korea surreptitiously boasted about his hack by leaking it to the online publication Deadspin.com. And he did this with the express purpose to humiliate the Astros general manager. Um, He uh, provided the information on the internal trade discussions that he had hacked from the Astros database uh, and uh, forced Lonow to actually apologize internally to certain Astros players that he'd given a frank evaluation to. Uh, The irony here is that if 
Korea had not done so, the information would probably have never been discovered and certainly would not have been made public. And the Astros may not have never known. And Mr. Korea would be uh, happily waiting for the pitchers and catchers to report in 10 days. So um, hubris will get you every time. It will indeed. And I mean, when you look at the ins and outs of this case, like it cries out to be converted into an episode of Law and Order. I hope one of the spinoffs there can do it because the facts here are just bizarre. And your point about Chris Correa bragging anonymously, like what did he think would happen? And sure enough, it did. Well, Matt, this one has been uh, too much fun. And uh, thanks a lot and look forward to uh, continuing continuing the discussion into the weeds next week. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt and I would love to hear from you. If you have any questions you'd like to go into the weeds on in uh, technology or the GRC space or any of the things Matt and I talk about, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.